Okay, welcome guys to the autumn webinar series. So we've got seven uh, webinars coming to you over the next, well, next seven weeks or six weeks after this. So this is the first one in this series. So today we're actually gonna be covering where to make money um, from property post COVID. Okay, and, and really what I'm trying to do with these webinars and what I'm trying to do with the, the guys I've got on and that is really create the big picture, but then also break it down into what you can do and the action steps you can take. And I think that's really important right now because there's so much stuff going on. There's so much garbage you know, out there in terms of you know, trying to steal your attention and trying to tell you that things are going this way or things are going that way. And I think you know, what we're going to try to do here is give you a really good um, understanding of, of the bigger picture of what's going on and how that influences you as a property investor. And more importantly, what we're going to try and do is give you a level of certainty that actually you can take action, you can move forward, you know, and you can make things happen. Okay, so guys, you know, I really want to welcome you along. You know, I want to encourage you to comment if you've got any questions. You know, type them into the, the chat. We, we're uh, actually on the, the webinar. We're on live stream. We're on Facebook. We're all over the place right now. So we're, um, you know, all over the place. Hopefully, I can get all the comments coming in, and um, and then we'll be able to address them. I've got some really cool guests on here today that I've been working with for over ten years, in fact, now. Um, so I'm really impressed with that. But look, guys, um, help us out. And if you haven't already, make sure you've subscribed to the channel. Um, and you know, any questions you've got, you can either email them into uh, webinars at gladfish.com, or um, if, if you're watching the live stream right now, then simply type them into the uh, comment box, whether that be on YouTube, Facebook, or wherever. And I should be able to chuck them on screen and we can answer them as we go through. Because I wanna make this really interactive. And I think um, you know, the, the, between the three of us, there's not too many questions that we can't answer about you know, and, and sure, there's opinion, but there's not too many questions that we can't answer about the property market now or where we think it's going. Okay, there's three words that you know I really will talk about, and I'll talk about it in a minute. And I think that that's really the theme for what we're doing today. So let me um, start off by introducing um, Ritesh. So Ritesh and I have been uh, working together. Hey, mate, how are you? Hey, good, good. good. Yeah, excellent. So Ritesh, just to explain what you do, what your role is, um, and yeah. Yeah, so look, yeah, I'm Ritesh. Um, so I've been working in the industry, working with Brett pretty much since 2009. Uh, my, role, my, my role in the business is pretty simple, actually. I sit down with clients um, like yourselves every single day um, and sort of walk them through this complex web that property investment can be when you start the journey. It's not really that complex, but when you do start it, it many people like you to think it is. Uh, and the idea is to give you the picture on a, on a macro level uh, and micro level. So mac macro level in the sense, you know, talking about the, the bigger picture of the market itself, how the whole market is tying in with the economic cycle. Uh, and the micro level in the sense that let's get into which are the right areas, which are the right developments, you know, who should I be working for? Where should I be buying? So covering those both off, answering questions and just getting you to a position where you have enough transparency, enough information to be able to confidently take that next step, whatever that is. Yeah. I think he was trying to steal some of my job there too, actually, but <laughs> no, all good, all good. Cheers, mate. So, um, yeah, no, he's got a wealth of experience and, 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 you know, sitting down with clients, strategizing and planning them, talking about the market, all that sort of stuff. That, that's, you know, the bread and butter of, of what uh, Ritesh does, as well as running the entire London office that we've got there. Um, so for our next guest, it's uh, Dan. So Dan, how are you? So do you just want to um, get a bit of an introduction? Yeah. Yes, uh, so I'm Dan. I'm the portfolio director here. I started here just after Ritesh, uh, January 2010, so nearly 11 years. And my day-to-day -day role is to 
work with investors at all levels to kind of sit down with them, um, work out you know, where they are now, where they want to be, and um, ultimately help them with two main aspects, strategy, structure, and then build it all, all into a plan. So the strategy side is, you know, what's the most effective based on you know, what's, uh, what's practical for you and where you want to be. But the structure side is also uh, very important because that is structuring it in a way where you can kind of withstand short-term blips yeah. and uh, make sure that we're kind of setting up so you're de-risking yourself as much as possible. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, good, good. So look, guys, yeah, we're... Um yeah, we're going to kick off. And look, I think to the, today and, and in fact, all seven of the webinars, I've put them together to give you that level of certainty. But actually, there are a lot of concepts. You know, unfortunately, our industry is such that, you know, we're constantly talking about house prices and interest rates and all this rubbish and garbage. And, and sure, that's an important part. Yeah. But the reality is there's so much more to what's going on that if we look into and can tap into some of these big changes that are going on, then we can actually put ourselves in the best position to move forward, you know. So, you know, whether it be COVID or recession or disruption, you know. So we, we, the three words, I guess, we've talked about here, which are pretty much, you know, um, we're looking at recession, disruption and predictions, okay. And look, you know, we, we got no problem. Oh, I just realized I'm in the wrong spot there, haven't I? I haven't set the camera up properly. <laughs> but um, no, look, you know, those three words are really the theme for this whole seven things, okay? So we're going to be covering a lot of disruption and what that means to, we're going to look at the recession and we're also going to look at the predictions in both those aspects. So I think that's really important. And you know, what we're covering today, you know, you've got the reception, disruption, predictions, you've got the problem with returns, okay? You've got the alternatives to, you know, if you don't wanna do buy to let or you don't wanna do property, then what else are you gonna do? You know, because I can tell you, it's not looking very favorable in any direction right now. You know, so a lot of people are saying buy to let's dead. Well, the reality is, what do you go to? So we'll look at that. We'll look at the dynamics at play. We'll look at overcoming the recession the next sort of 12 to 24 months when we're, you know, either gonna be in recession or COVID before we get over that sort of hump. And then we're gonna look at the disruption side because I think, you know, look, if, if you, you wanna get me started, you know, get me on over a few beers or whatever, then disruption is one of those things that um, will just get me talking all night and won't shut me up. Um, because I'm reading so much about it and I see how it is actually starting to come to fruition in that. You know, and then we'll look at predictions, experts. But more importantly, and I think this is the last one, which is what you can do next. In other words, what actions can you take now to you know, ride some of this disruptive change and opportunity that comes for it? Because at the end of the day, opportunity is where it's at. Yeah. So as much as I said, you know, this house, um, house prices and that sort of stuff is not something we really want to focus on right now. But the reality is, it is something we want to look at. And I think one of the, the big, there's two daunting decisions that I see you guys facing right now, which is number one is what's going to happen with house prices? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and, and your options are, your decisions are to sit around, you know, and not do anything, procrastinate effectively. All right. And for me, practically, that's never really resulted in, you know, success in a portfolio, okay? Short term, maybe, but not long term. You know, you could buy and actually the prices could go up, okay? There's people predicting that. Certainly in London, we're seeing some predictions come out and the fundamentals are there. But then you've got buy and, you know, it sits around stagnant, 80, 90% of predictions of that. And then you've got buy and it drops. And the interesting thing is with the drops, you know, 
there's less and less of those, but they are there. So you've got to decide where that you know, house prices fit. If you look at 2020, and this is where you know we start talking about experts, and you know, I mean, how badly do they get it wrong? Well, you know, Bank of England fall to 16 percent, 13 percent down. You know, 10 to 5 to 10, 7, 5, 10, 7, 7 minus 6, 0.6. You know, so all of these experts predicted 2020, but yet we're looking to be up 7 percent at the end of the year, which is extraordinary, I know. But the reality is that's because of the government initiatives that have happened. But, you know, the reality is you've got to factor those in now because that is fiscal policy is something that is there. It is a tool that can be used and it has been used. You know, but the interesting thing that you've got to note, and this is one thing that I look at all the time. Look, this is 2020, 2024. So this is some other predictions. This is from Hamptons. You know, but you can see the four-year forecast, a lot of people are caught, you know, saying they're going to get going up. So this, the house price dips and most people are saying it's 2021, yeah? They're not necessarily saying it's 22, 23, and 24. Most people in that case are saying, you know, showing it's up. But look, the bottom line with this whole game is that most experts are wrong most of the time. Sorry, I just stuffed that up, didn't I? I've got to get the um, right camera. <laughs> That's the problem with having too many cameras. Um, look, guys, the, most experts are wrong most of the time. And, and the reason I say that, and the reason I say it so many times is because Unfortunately, as human beings, we look and we're growing up to look to experts, you know, from the schoolyard teacher, you know, all these sort of things. We're used to listening to those people. Now, the challenge we have is that, you know, we take that into the world and we take that into the world of property investment and we end up in a situation where, you know, we get, we listen to stuff that isn't right and, and, and turns out to be wrong. We make decisions on that. So this whole series is about giving you the ability to make those decisions for yourself and to do the research yourself. And I think, you know, that's really, really important. Okay. So I might as well throw my hat in the ring because let's face it, you know, what would I be if I'm not making some predictions? Look, my predictions for 2021, um, I reckon prices will drop around 3%. Yeah. Not drastic, but I do think they'll either rise 3% all the way down to minus 10%. So some areas are going to see drops and they'll be the ones that make the headlines. But then other areas I think aren't that bad. All right. And let me bring the other boys on. So what do you guys think about that? Any thoughts on um, what you think? You know, house prices for next year? It's, a, it's an interesting one. Um, I'm sort of sitting, I've got a, a wider range here. I'm sitting between zero to 10. So either yeah. nothing can happen. It could drop by 10%. I know that 10% drop might mean it dropped 15% or that 0% in that region. And the reason why, I'm, even though a lot of the news coming out and all the COVID situation should mean that we have a price drop. I mean, I remember back in 2009, 10, when yeah. the global financial crisis. Mate, your mic's gone all funny. Oh, is it? Do you want to check your mic? Let me guess, it come out. Is that any better? Sorry. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to repeat that because it's really important yeah. stuff. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to go back to 2009-10, um, global financial crisis, when yeah. you know a lot of places, well, most places in the UK were dropping in price. London, not dropping as much, but still dropping. But yeah, places like um, King's Cross, Islington, Brett, you must be aware, you had a place in Islington. Yep. It was fun, still going up, which is ridiculous. 100%. Ludicrous. How can an area go up go up in price during global financial crisis, but it was. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and I think one of the interesting things is if you look at London, the house prices, they dropped for six months and everyone said, oh, London, blah, blah, blah. And then they bounced straight back up and then they continue to grow. 
You know, and look at them now. They, you know, they doubled in price. I mean, you know, we'll show you some stats later on. You know, it's it's incredible that side of it. You know, yeah. but um, yeah. So look, so house prices is one thing, and you know, and and we can go into lots and lots of statistics and all that sort of stuff. But to be fair, you know, that really gives you the summary. You know, most people, you know, to be fair, you know, I've got comments on my my YouTube of people saying, no, no, they're going to drop twenty or thirty percent. London, you know, is devastated because everyone's moving out. There's going to be no one left in the city, and all these. You know, it's just not not how it's going to play out. But we'll talk more about that as we sort of build some depth into that sort of thing. But let, let's have a look. The other side of it is because obviously there's the the capital growth side, you know, and house prices. But the other side is the interest rates. So if we have a look at the interest rate side, you know, the daunting decision you face is with interest rates is you do nothing. In other words, don't invest, or do you buy and then they increase to un, un, you know unaffordable levels, you know. 10% of people are predicting that. In other words, there's so much liquidity going into the market that that has to result in you know, capital um, increases you know, so, or interest rate increases. The other side of it is, is you know, that they gradually increase over time, which is by far the majority, including all of the lenders, if you look at their interest rates and where they're predicting over the next sort of 10 years, that's the case. Or that we have you know, where they stay low for a long period and we have this real period of stagflation almost you know, or the other side of it is, is they drop further. Now, the point with dropping further, I don't actually think, even if they drop further, and I know the Bank of England's talked about negative interest rates, that's not necessarily going to mean that, um, that you're going to get negative interest rates. Because just because the banks are getting them doesn't mean you're going to, okay? So don't, you know, hold out hope for that. It's not necessarily going to happen, all right? But, you know, these, that's the sort of the issues you've got with the interest rates. Any thoughts on interest rates, guys? Well, I mean, from the, the conversations that we're sort of having with a lot of the mortgage brokers in the industry, because they, they, they obviously speak to underwriters and lenders and all that kind of stuff, yeah. is that it's a situation where, look, no one, ex, no one sees rates going anywhere quickly whatsoever, uh, because yeah. simply can't. There is a case right now where, depending on what structure you're buying under, because some of the lenders might have closed their books a little, closed their books for a short while just to assess what level of risk yeah. they're willing to take on and stuff. The competition sort of dies down. So when there's not enough competition in the market and there's a few yeah. fewer lenders, then you'll get the, the odd naughty lender, I call them, who will try and make bigger margins and, and, and charge you know, a little bit more. But yeah. we're talking about really small amounts. So it's actually from an interest rate perspective, it is a great time to get involved in property. I mean, we've been spoiled mm. over the last 10 years of where the interest yeah. rates have been sitting, you know, and, and you know, everyone sort of got used to it. But even yeah. with a, a slight rise, they're an, awesome, they're an awesome place when it comes to interest rates, in my view. Yeah, 100%. And I think that the reality is, is when you've got uncertainty, lenders tighten their belts. You know, I, I used to actually, I set up a mortgage company in Australia and I was heavily involved in that. And so I used to be an underwriter and, and approve loans and those sort of things. And you know, if times if it started to look a bit shaky, we would close up our books, you know, or we, you know, clamp down on the on the sort of fringe lending, and just go back to core. And what happened when that uncertainty went away and it becomes certain, then we'd open it back up again. So this is natural, you know. And of course, they want to price in the risk. That's natural for them to do. You know, it's not the case. The other side is we've had Brexit. You know, Brexit layered on top of austerity, which means that most of these lenders haven't been doing massive volumes. They got a big volume of lending come in. Well, they don't necessarily have the money to lend, or they don't have the people to underwrite it. So it's totally expected to be what's you know what's been going on. Hey, we've just had a um, 
uh, message in from Simon. So I'm, I'll, I'll just leave it there. I'll, I'll come to it a little bit later, okay? Because it'll fit in well a little bit later on. Um, but yeah, you know, so the interest rates, most of the predictions are that interest rates are going to stay low, that they're not going to, certainly in the next, you know, if you look, you know, out 10 years, even 10 years, that they're not going to jump up to like 15% or 10%. And, and I don't think the market can handle that. So I think low interest rates are here for quite some time yet. All right. So let me ask you this. So what happens now? So basically, you know, and this is one of the big things we're finding is people saying, oh, I'm not, you know, it's too risky buy to let. I, you know, I just don't know where it's going. I don't know what's happening. You know, what else? You know, there must be something else that I do. What's the alternative? And, you know, the reality is where else are you going to make return? I mean, if we look at just purely countries that you can invest in, UK, US, Spain, France, Poland, Romania, Aussie, New Zealand, Singapore, South Africa, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we can list off any country there. The, the reality is they're in the same boat that the UK is in or whichever country you're listening to is in. You know, this is not like it's just happening to one country. You know, the reality is it doesn't matter which country you go into. There used to be a play where I would say, right, I'll you know, invest in Australia now because the Australian market's booming. I'll do UK now. Now, actually, to be fair, they're both in exactly the same situation. And so is, you know, so is the US and so is Spain, you know. And, and yet house prices can still be going up. So there's still things happening. But the reality is what we're finding is, you know, you can't escape to a different country. All right, we'll talk about one of the um, you know, major disruptions, um, you know, disruptors uh, soon, you know, about, uh, with that point too. And I think that's really important. The other side, you know, if you look at, you know, what, are, what other things can you do? But if you're not gonna do property, you know, what about business? Well, you know, your current career, could you change career? You know, invest in a startup or a more established business, do online marketing, physical products, you know, fulfilled by Amazon type things, a side hustle, you know, become an Instagram, although it's TikTok now, you know, influencer. You know, there's, there's so many options, but they all come with the time commitment, the risk and all this sort of stuff. And I think that's what, you know, you've really got to realize is what is your actual alternative that isn't just going to create another job for you? And, and maybe it is a side hustle. Maybe it is a, another job that you want, which is fine, you know. But for me, property still offers, you know, a huge opportunity. You've just got to know how to do it, you know, and, and as I say, the strategy to meet the market. And I think when you understand that and when you apply that, and we'll talk a bit more about that, don't worry, you know, but I think that's important. You know, let's look at other stuff because, you know, let's take pensions or, you know, shares investments and things like that. You know, pension funds, I mean, where are they investing? They're investing into Property, they're investing into, you know, that's one of the big things they're investing into. They're investing into shares and shares are investing into business or property, you know, and they're all in the same boat. So, you know, it doesn't matter where you look now, what you're starting to find is that you have this issue where, you know, where is your capital going to go? And you can sit it there and sit it in the bank as cash. But you know what, with the such low interest rates, you're not making any money. You know, and inflation, I mean, inflation's not as much of a problem right now, but the reality is you're going backwards if you're sitting in the bank. So, you know, the question really becomes one of, should I invest, you know, in something? I mean, let's look at uh, maybe a bit, you know, more of left field, you know, in terms of alternative investments, you know, hotels, students, wine, land. I even saw investing in solicitors who then use it to sue people you know, forests, you know, carbon credits, all these sort of things. I mean, you know, hotels have been decimated, you know, students have been decimated. Some of the stories coming out now, you know, even some of the Airbnbs and things like this, you know, they're just not what they used to be and they're really coming under. And the interesting thing is, for the most part, 
while all these other investments have been falling by the wayside, actually your bulk standard buy to let has been consistently performing. And yeah, you may have seen a drop in a rent because your place had lots of service apartments or you may have seen you know, the area actually has boomed but the rent hasn't kept up or maybe that the, you know, the prices have boomed so much that actually not much is happening with the prices. You know, but the reality is the principles that worked 20 years ago or 25 years ago when I first got in you know, and, and that worked 10 years ago and worked five years ago still work today and I think that's really important. Um, so yeah, and look, so let's just move on from there. So there's, you know, for me, one of the challenges you've got to face is if not property, then what? Yeah, and I think that's one of the challenges that you have. You know, if not property, then what can you actually invest in? Because as far as I can see, there's not too many options unless you know exactly what you're doing and that, you know. So yeah, so um, good. So, um, oh, somebody said can't hear anything. Sorry guys, I just, let me just check. I don't know why I can't hear anything. Yeah, sorry guys. I just realized somebody, yeah, it's, it's working. Um, yeah, okay. It looks like the, my mic for some reason is not coming through on here. Let me try and turn it off and turn it on again. The joys of technology. Yeah, can't hear Dan and Ritesh. Why can't? So apparently you can hear, but can't hear Dan. I don't know why. Oh. Can he, is it not working? Is no, it's not. Is it? So apparently if you jump onto YouTube, it seems yeah. to be fine, bro. Guys, if you jump onto my YouTube channel, yeah, which is um, YouTube forward slash C for channel, uh, forward slash Brett's Property Rants with an S on the end. So Brett's Property Rants. Um, yeah, I'm not sure why, what's going on, but um, it sounds like YouTube's fine and the Facebook's fine, but um, for some reason the webinar software is not working um, or it's not working for someone. So yeah, um, let we me just- We sent the link in the chat box. So everyone should have the link for the YouTube channel in the chat box. Yeah, perfect. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, cool. Okay, well, sorry guys, uh, the joys of technology. Um, but yeah, I guess, uh, you know, we're, we're actually we've been doing the YouTube and that for a while, so sorry about that. Um, but we'll have to go back and watch it anyway. I'll, I'm gonna continue on for the guys that have been watching on YouTube and that. Um, and yeah, apologies to the guys on the, on the webinar. I'm not sure what's been going on there. Um, but anyway, yeah, and I can see lots coming through now. Yeah, so maybe we've lost it somehow. Anyway, don't know. Um, it, it looks like it's here, perfect here, but um, yeah, so jump on YouTube. Yeah, it's only on the webinar. Yeah, so okay, great. Um, okay, so let's continue. So yeah, what, you know, if not this, then what? is the real problem. So let's have a look at, for me, the five disruptors, if you like, you know, the five factors that are causing disruption to, to a property investor, and I'm talking about here. So the first one for me is, you know, um, protection versus go globalism, all right? And what do I mean? We've had this period where we've grown and we've, you know, globalized everything, and, and now the whole world is actually um, 
you know, it's, it's basically there and, you know, talking and all that sort of stuff. But what's happened now through Trump and what they're doing, and it's not just Trump, it's actually, it's where things are going. You know, as the US sort of winds down its power, and we'll talk about that soon, but, you know, it's polarizing. And what it's doing is basically getting to the point now where I think you're going to have to choose China or the US. And so the world is going to turn into this big cold war with, effectively, it won't be a cold, uh, you know, a cold war, it'll be a firewall, you know, um, and that firewall will either be use China or you use the US. And really countries will have to choose because the US is going to like uh, using China and China's not going to like you using them. So I think, you know, that's one of the key things for me that's coming up, you know, and a big disruptor where, you know, that's going to become more and more of a problem because you know, even you've got, you know, right now you've got lots of Chinese buying in you know, London, you've got lots of Chinese buying all around the world, they're becoming much more of an influence, okay? And that will play out. So that's one of the big disruptors because you know, from software to everything, they're now having an influence, you know, whether you know, it could even be down to, to food production and food you know, supplies and all this sort of stuff. Um, you know, the US was the world leader. And you know, if you think post-World War, they set up all these institutions that served them. And now those institutions like UN are becoming less and less powerful. Um, and arguably the US didn't just set up, you know, so yeah. But look, so Disruptor 2. So the Disruptor 2 for me, you know, is worldwide tax equalization. And I'll say with exceptions, okay? And the reason I say worldwide tax equalization is what's happening now is, you know, if you live in the UK and you're just reading the UK news, you could think, wow, this is terrible. Capital gains tax has gone up. You know, the, the um, section 21, um, you know, all this, not section 21, section 24 tax. You know, all these sort of different taxes are being levied as well as compliance, as well as this. But that isn't just happening in the UK. We're seeing the same things in Aussie, in New Zealand, in fact, all countries, because what's happening now is the, the globalization of tax, they're all starting to, you know, want their thing. And let's face it, most countries are inefficient at running the country. So the, the requirement for more and more funding is going up and up, yeah? You know, and... Um, so that is, you know, that is a, a challenge, and, but it's something that really is starting to play out. But what it will mean is that a lot of people say, I don't want to invest there, or what the other side of it will be, if you want to invest into a different country where you're not a citizen or not a resident, I'm Aussie. And yet right now I get treated like everyone else if I want to buy property in Aussie. Yeah, that's just how it is. And, and, and in fact, the UK laws are moving in exactly the same direction. And the challenge is, I'm in Singapore, and I'm you know resident in Singapore, but the Singaporeans don't see me. They see me as uh, you know because I'm a PR here. But anyway, that's that's what's happening in you know, a tax globalization. So disruptor three, yeah, world recessions, all countries at the same time, yeah, and there are exceptions of course. But what we're finding is with globalization. Yeah, what's happened is that this country, it used to be this country, you know, went into a recession and then this country went into the recession. So you could shift your funds from here to here, you know, and, and avoid that sort of thing. But now everybody's going in together and everybody's, you know, linked. So if this one goes down, this one goes down. Give or take. So it'll be in the little differences that you find opportunity. Okay. So, you know, that's, that's a big one, I think, you know, now we're starting to see where now the world, you know, the previous recession and this recession, everyone's gone in together. Now, some countries avoided it, sure, and that will always be the case, but not in the same way where we used to have, you know, that was a, if you went into a recession, it was totally independent, yeah? Disruptor four 
is Brexit and the breakdown of the Eurozone. Now, this is a bit of my prediction. I think, you know, look, Brexit, I think what's happening is that, um, you know, Brexit's happening, obviously, you know, and I think they will get a deal, but the deal will be such a terrible deal that, um, you know, you might as well call it a no deal, but they will politically say they got a deal, you know, last, you know, 11th hour deal sort of thing. Um, and I say the breakdown of the Euro because my concern is I think it's dysfunctional at its core. I think there's some really good parts to it, but I think in terms of a, you know, um, serving countries, I just don't get it, okay? And, and so, you know, look, some of these things can last 40, 50, 100 years, but, you know, there's over 200 different type of um, uh, Eurozones being created over the last couple of hundred years. You know, there's Norwegian ones, there's all around the world, you know, these sort of trading blocks. So it's not uncommon for these things to rise and then fall. You know, and I think that's what we're going to start to see is, you know, if if UK comes away and actually does okay, which it has so far, then actually we could, um, you know, see other countries going. You know what? We really don't want to be part of this anymore. We're going to break away. What are your guys' thoughts on uh, Brexit? <coughs> Brexit done. Yeah. Any thoughts? Um, well, I actually forgot about it because of everything that's been going on. Yeah. It has <laughs> now, been. I, I actually, yeah, I mean, look, with Brexit, it's interesting because we've been in this period for the last four years, has it been? Uh, something like that, you know, where the yeah, biggest years. for everyone has been Brexit, you know? Yeah. So before COVID came along, every, all our clients, everything, before we were doing anything, yeah, everyone was worried about Brexit. I wanted to know the effects of Brexit and how that's going to map out. The answer to the question was always, who knows? Yeah. You know, who knows? You know, we, we saw it as something which was going to be played out over a while because no one's going to, you know, people are going to, Europe didn't want to show their cards. You know, it's a business negotiation that was going on. Okay. But what, what, what we did find is we were just scaremongering articles with, their, you know, the day, as soon as the day Brexit's announced, prices are going to drop off by 20%. I, I saw some ridiculous figures. None of that actually really happened. Yes, there was small correction because the uncertainty of Brexit meant that you know people's general confidence in the market wasn't there, which is always going to take away, take down the transaction volume, and, and prices slowly did come down. But in some areas, again, nothing happened. You know, some areas actually carried on going up. So it was not end of the world. You know, yeah. is is what I'm, is what we felt. No, and I don't think it will be either. I mean, it's interesting. You know, if you look back at my videos on Brexit, even my book on Brexit, you know, I actually played it pretty straight and got it pretty correct all the way through. Um, you know, and, and because I just think there was so much media hysteria about it. But you know, we're getting to to the point now where you know we'll be a potential no deal, not no deal Brexit, whatever, pretty soon. Certainly, it's uh, it certainly looks like it's going to be a no deal Brexit. That's for sure. Um, but I think they will get one politically more than, you know, anything. But yeah, so we'll see how that goes. So Disruptor 5, you know, which is the macro risk. And I think that, you know, if you look at big picture, um, what we're looking at is, you know, US losing power status. And I think that's going to be the next 20 to 50 years. So they're slowly going to lose it. They will still hold it for a long time yet. But the other side of it is, is losing their reserve currency status, which that could be more devastating for them. Because right now, and I think we're in a period now where the US has been able to print as much money as they wanted, which has enabled them to do whatever they want, um, you know, to have the largest army or military by massive amounts and to wield that power however they want. 
But what's happening now is a lot of countries have gone, you know what, they're doing it, why can't we? You know, And so they've started to do that and there's some massive, massive money getting printed. In fact, the money supply, I was reading that, that actually up until before COVID, the money supply increased 30%. So all the money in the world up until you know, just before COVID, we printed 30% more, which is just unprecedented. That, that's never happened before. You know, now, that could mean a massive sting in the tail. But for me, I think part of that, it was required. And I think actually it was the, the right decision to do at the time. Um, you know, but is it kicking the can down the road? My concern here is that actually the US did massive you know, um, uh, fiscal stimulus back in the last recession. And they continued to kick the can down the road. So their public debt is you know, ginormous. But they got away with it. And they've, you know, seen they've had growth all the way through to here. So, you know, I think a lot of countries are looking going, you know what, if they can do that, perhaps we can do that. Maybe not on the same scale, but that's where we're kind of looking now. Now, just one point, I'll just, you know, why didn't we mention technology as being a major disruptor? And look, yes, okay, it is on an individual basis. But the reason I said I didn't put it in as a disruptor is because actually for me, a lot of that is going to make efficiencies and, and be good for us, actually, and you know, good for the consumer, good for investors. Um, it makes the availability of data, because let's face it, technology is, is old hat almost. Now it's all about how we can use data and AI and things like that. And I think that will really, that, that'll disrupt industries, but not necessarily us as individuals um, as much. And I think that's, you know, for me, look, we're already dealing with the technology um, I think it's now the big data um, that's really going to make the changes. But technology has been around. And, and actually, if you look, you know, my phone, you know, my phone's now two, two and a half years old. And I had the chance of upgrading the other day and I was like, I don't need it. The facilities aren't that bad. You know, my, my laptop, you know, I update that sort of every two or three years now. Um, and not because, you know, I need to, not because it gets any slower, really. It's just because it gets to the point where I wear keys out and start to wear things out through overuse. You know, that that's because technology for me is a is a done and you know it's a done deal. I mean, certainly software platforms, AI. That's where I think is re the real changes are going to you know come. So, you know, that's part of the problem, guys. Or that's that's the problem, if you like, is you know, if not property, where do you put your money? And you know, if not now, when? You know. And you know, so what we want to do now is build on the solution and what you can do, and, and you know, the type of things you can you know make. And I think, and I'll bring the guys in too. So what what have you got any thoughts on solutions or any thoughts on you know big picture? I mean, what's what's your experience in? Because obviously you guys have lived through the past recession, you know, and the yeah. aftermath of that, and you know, coming into well, I mean, we're living through a recession right now. It's a bit of an and extra well, I won't even say it's not extraordinary in that it's the same as every other recession. It's just different. The the name changes every time. So yeah, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like you said, Brett. You know, I've I've worked through the sort of last recession and, and seen the how things transition from you know when things are really bad and down and people's like you know emotion sort of a little bit all over the place with what's happening to. How, what happens when things start to slowly, slowly improve and then go into a real growth cycle and sort of come out the other end. Um, and for me, look, when it comes to investment, it's impossible to pick the bottom of the market. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, I would challenge anyone, yeah, you know, you go and try and pick the bottom of the market. Anyone can do it when 
something happens, hindsight is a beautiful thing, <laughs> you know, yeah. so, as I said. Uh, you can't That's really I rather focus on things in terms of the strategy on what I can pick and what I can control. And as an investor, what I would, what I would say to you guys is that what you can control is to set your portfolio up in such a way that with things like recessions and prices going down and all that sort of stuff, your portfolio can withstand it. So yeah. have a robust strategy, okay, which works through all parts of the market cycle. Yeah. That is the only thing you can control, you know, and that's yeah. what we talk about in our meetings a lot, you know, because when things are really good, we don't get overly excited, yeah, because fine, you know, it's part of the cycle. When things sound bad out there, we don't get overly down because yeah. to us it's all expected. And I think that's why, you know, for years we've talked about realistic worst case. And, and you know what? In, in 25 years, I've never had worse case, you know. Uh, you know and, and certainly the media will promote, you know, you know, massive uplift, massive, you know, drops. But actually what tends to fire or what tends to happen is, you know, a little bit left of center, you know, left or right of center. You know, it's not these massive swings and that, even though the media will present that as being that's what's happening. But it certainly hasn't been in my case. I mean, you know, prices drop 10%, 20%. you know, and they come back, but I still get to hold the property the whole way through, you know? Um, and the yeah. question really is, and what I've found is for most people, if you don't manage that cash flow, that's the real thing, that's the real issue, you know, if you can't yeah. pay your mortgage and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, the one point I will make is, you know, the, this is a, a big change that I've noticed over the last sort of decade is the biggest, we used to say, the biggest assumption was that property doubles every seven to 10 years, okay? And, and effectively, that used to be the mantra. You know, that was the mantra that I was taught. That was the mantra. And, and to this day, that is still correct, okay? The difference is, whereas I used to say it was on all property, you could buy a property anywhere and it would go up. Now, I think you've got to put yeah. a massive asterisk. And really, that asterisk is, you know, now that only happens where the best fundamentals are, okay? And, you know, what do I mean by the, you know, best fundamentals? You know, well, I mean, shops, schools, transportings, major employees, major investments. I, hopefully, you know, if you've been watching me for a while, you know, you've heard that mantra, you've heard me say that many times. But the actual thing is we do it the other way around because shops have the least impact. Major investment has the biggest impact. Major employment, major transport, schools and shops. That's the order that you actually do your research and, and you know, the impact by. So the biggest impact is in investment. And you know, if you understand that, then when you choose a property, you know, or you don't choose, forget the property so much because you can actually renovate a property. So you can take a crappy property and turn it into a good property, yeah? But I think that the, the key to this with the, the, this is you can't change an area. So what you do is you pick the best area and then you find the property within that area, whether that be whatever strategy, it could be a new built HMO, it could be a student, it could be whatever. Okay, you know, it could be off plan, it could be you know anything, you know, but the area is the key determinant of those fundamentals, and and so you as an investor, you can't change the fundamentals yourself. Okay, and I think that's one yeah. of the key things here is you're not big enough, you're not influential enough to go into an area and say I'm now going to turn this crappy, you know. Um, crime-ridden area into you know the place where you know Hollywood Hills you know it's just not going to happen but what you can do is you can go to Hollywood Hills and take the worst house in the best street renovate it and make money you know or you can take an area that's getting massive amounts of investment into it 
you know, planned investment and money behind it, and you can buy an off-plan property that completes in three years' time, you know, and, and ride that, you know, that um, in investment up. You know? And I think that's one of the key things. One of the things we've, we're really good at, and it's one of our strategies that we've worked for many, many years, is regeneration. So we talked about that major investment as being the key. You go to an area that's being regenerated, okay? And it's got to be a big enough regeneration. It's not just about, a, oh, look, it's a new building. It's, we're talking about you know, substantial change in that area. And um, you know, so maybe, um, do you want to run through, sort of talk through an example, mate? Ritesh? Yeah, so um, it's good because I'm from the regeneration topic that uh, Brett's talking about. That's something which you know, really excites us. And, and, and over the last 15 odd years, that's pretty much you know, the model that we follow. Get into an area which is uh, a four, five out of 10, um, and then you know, do your research and see that there's changes that are gonna happen, which is gonna turn this into a six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten 10 out of 10 area. Because if you can pick out those areas you know, and get into them early, from our experience, that's where you make the biggest uplift in prices, the biggest return on your investment, which is ultimately what uh, what we all want. So these are actually two great great examples. You know, they're both projects which we got involved in, you know, back in 2010 at the early at the early stages, um, Royal Arsenal and Kidbrook Village, um, and they were both regeneration. So I actually had clients at the time you who know, were selling a bedroom unit. Um, you know, back in 2010 for 180, 190, who even at that point said, are you sure a one-bedroom unit in this development yeah. at 180, 190 is not overpriced? The reason they said that is because you could find run-down second-hand properties in, this, uh, in these areas for lower. Um, however, you know, research and all that kind of stuff, the changes that we knew that were going to happen, we were still stubborn to our belief that yes, this, this is still an investment. Uh, and a lot of the clients said, okay, I'm working with you guys and, you know, you want to help me build my portfolio, you're going to help me, so let's do it. And look at the timelines now, up to 2018, and you can, you know, pretty much both um, developments, you know, values have doubled in price. Okay, yeah. between that. Now, what's more interesting, okay, they've doubled in value. Why have, why have they increased in value, you know, and done well? Well, there's a couple of different reasons. I'm not going to take credit for the market, not the market does. We don't control it. Yes, we've got to understand it and set the right strategies based on the market, but that's out of our control. What we do control, though, picking out the regeneration areas and doing our research on what sort of change is happening in this area. We knew in both cases that Barclay Homes were committed not to just building a block of 10 apartments or 100 or 200 apartments. They were creating a village. They were building a community in these areas. And within the developments, they were going to put schooling, um, commercial facilities in there, um, you know, you name it. Everything that attracts population to land was going to be built on these sites. And what that is going to do is create exponential demand. Yeah. Okay. Prices, you know, the demand is going to go from there to there, and that's where prices move the quickest. So it's great to actually live through some real life things. And guys, that's just two examples. I can really off seven, eight, and talk about, yeah, examples to keep coming. But yeah, these are just, for me, very good examples. If you buy property in regen areas with the right developers and hold them, what, what's possible to be achieved? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, and I think yeah. that, you know, it really has. And it's been a strategy that we've been working for quite some time. Um, 
you know, and, and look, major investment makes a massive difference. And it really, it almost, it doesn't guarantee you, you know, success, but it certainly makes it a lot more likely, okay? Um, you know, and, and, and we're proven that. In fact, we're proven that that same model pretty much there, we've done seven different times in London, just in London, you know, and we've done it various, you know, times all around the UK for, you know, the different places we operate. But so let, let's, let's break it down now. So, so we've talked about best fundamentals. We've talked about, you know, property doubling. Now, I don't think, you know, forget about the doubling side now, because actually that's not, I don't think that's by any means guaranteed. But the point is, is the places that are likely to go up are in the best areas. And so if you can move yeah. to the best areas, and so what we have is what's called the ripple effect Pentagon, which is how we, we source property effectively and we know where to. And what we do is we look at the market and we look at where prices are or have just gone up tremendously and we don't invest there because what you tend to find is when something goes up a lot, it then sits around and be stagnant for a while, okay? So London yeah. had some massive growth up until 16. And, you know, and so London has really been sitting around not doing a lot since 16, you know. Now we're actually getting back into London, um, you know. But if we have a look here, so zone one and two is the best fundamentals. So that is the area to invest if you can afford it. If you can't afford it, go to zone three, four, five. If you can't afford that, commuter towns outside London, you know. If you can't afford that, major cities with universities, you know. If you can't afford that, major towns. Now, for the major towns now, my challenge is that I'm not sure they're really the places to invest and we'll talk more a bit about that. But so this is great for, this Ripple Effect Pentagon is great for strategy because what you can do is if you start off at your London zone one and two and, and say you invest there, great. And then when the market gets too high, you then move to three, four, five because that's the ripple effect. And that's what we talk about, yeah. the ripple effect Pentagon, yeah? And you know, effectively, the major cities for me right now are more like your Manchester's, your Birmingham's, your Liverpool, maybe your Leeds, and you know, and a few of those sort of those ones there. But you know, your major ones are where things are happening, and we'll, we'll talk a bit more about those. But look, you know, in terms of let's let's talk London for a bit. Um, you know, and for me, London is you know, London property. Look at look to the setting sun, and what do I mean by that? Well, I mean look west. For many years, okay, we were actually investing in. Um, effectively East London. So those, you know, Kidbrook and Royal Arsenal were in East London. So let's have a look. This is a map of London now where, and this isn't all of the places where stuff's happening, but I just wanted to give you an idea. So um, I'll, in fact, I'll let you chat through Ritesh. Yeah, no, good. So, you know, these like are some spots that uh, we have seen, you know, a lot of regeneration and change happening. And remember that word, regeneration and change, okay? Um, you know, Back, back in 2010, you know, when we started getting involved in the London stuff, it was all east and southeast. Simple reason, geographically well located, um, but you know, you, you only live there if you couldn't afford to live in other parts. That's the reality of it. But then the government started investing a lot of money in, started working with the big developers, putting transport lines up, building big developments, and improving the style of housing that was available to live there. So all of a sudden, what you saw is bigger change and all of a sudden, prices move there exponentially. What I'm starting to see now is, yes, there's some, some little stuff going on in the East, but I'm seeing more and more stuff starting to happen in the West and the Northwest and the North, okay? So it's almost like not much was going on there 10 years ago, but now that's all beginning to kick off. In fact, some of it's already kicked off. So, you know, if we talk about some of the areas, you know, you've got Colindale, for, for example, which is sort of North, Northwest London. Um, you've got 10,000 new homes being built there. 
high street being upgraded, you know, you've got new schooling, you know, new health facilities, you know. So the fundamentals are getting stronger. Okay. Another good sign, you know, that area is prime to go up in value is when the, when the big developers come to town. Yeah. Okay, so your likes of Barclay Homes have built a huge scheme there. Galliard are there, Red Row are there, Fairview are there. You know, me and you might invest in a property or two property there. These guys are investing millions to build these developments. So for them, they do a hell of a lot of research of are these the right spots. So when you do tend to work with these guys, I'm not saying they're always going to get it right, but they're very likely to get it right, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's always good to ride on these guys. Um, Colido, then you've also got the Brent, um, Brent Cross Quicklewood regeneration scheme as you go up. Uh, that again, is about 20, 27,000 new jobs to be created for the expansion of Brent Cross Shopping Center, which is a, a pretty big scheme. Um, you've got um, 4.3 million square foot being created. Have to see how much of that is going to be used or if any of that changes with the COVID and work style, but it's still there. Uh, there's about 419 million uh, on the railway project for the Thames Link. So it will take you from Brent Cross into King's Cross in about 15 minutes. Yeah. And if, if you can cut down journey from your home in place of work and pay, as they say, then prices are massively going to go up and rent it. Why? Simply because. Okay. Again, there's going to be all this. There's going to be uh, parkland, the new high street being created. The list goes on. Another area to keep going. Hey, Ritesh, maybe just I think you need to talk. Let uh, I think you're blowing out your mic. Oh, really? Because we're losing you. Yeah, just yeah. Don't talk. Don't talk with so much passion, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Try, yeah, you're right. Oh, here we go. Oh. No, nah, that's... How does this sound? Oh, uh, that's... Yeah, try that. A little bit better. Is that No, nah, it's not. I've got a technology team here. They're trying to fix this problem. <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, it's too... It's no good. Okay, that's not put, good. Put the other one on, but maybe don't... Don't, like, talk as loud into the into the thing. Sorry, guys. We're having a few, um, few uh, issues here. Anyway, guys? yeah, just yeah, try that. Are we good? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, let's 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 keep going. Yeah, so so London. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't think you can fold it. So where else then? You there? No, you just muted yourself, mate. All right, so unmute yourself, Ritesh. Unmute yourself on the screen. All right, I'll start talking and then he can come on when he's ready. Look, guys, so other areas, you know, we've got White City. So if you're looking at a zone one sort of place, zone two place, you know, that, that sort of central area, White City, massive amount of stuff happening there, you know. And it really is that, you know, that's, that is West London, you know, um, just on the outside of it. So, yeah, so, you know, you've got, huge stuff happening there, huge development, that whole area there, um, you know, is just getting totally re revamped. And you know, this is, this is an area, I mean, when I first moved to the UK in 2012, uh, 2002, I lived in Earl's Court, you know, it was called Kangaroo Valley back then. Um, and you know, so, you know, it's, 
it's, a, it's amazing to see what's happening. But I tell you, the prices aren't cheap anymore. You know, it would have been nice yeah. to get something back in 2002. But, you know, then we've got things like Southall. Are you back on, mate? Yeah, how, how's it sound now? Any good? Yeah, that's, yeah. Okay, yeah, fine. Is it clear? Yep. Good. So, yeah, we're starting to see that, uh, that, that sort of shift towards the north, the northwest. And, and if we sort of move on and, and pay attention to Southall, um, but I mean, that's another big regeneration area now where Barclay Homes, again, are, are building on 88 hectares of land. Um, again, this is not just a development. This is going to be a, a village. Okay, so you're going to have about 4,000 new homes that are going to be built there over the next 20 years. You're going to have commercial space, schooling again, coffee shops, uh, the plans for a cinema, a gymnasium. So again, you know, and this might sound like a bit of repetition, because it's a simple case of that's exactly what it is, you know, regeneration, all these things. So about getting involved in these areas where, you know, big developers are creating a community. You know, you've got the crossrail there, the stations are going to be upgraded and that will connect people from West London in towards um, central London through to the east of London in very short spaces of time. You know, there's a saying, if you cut, you know, 20 minutes to 10 minutes from one hour to half an hour, whatever it may look like, you know, those are the sort of areas that do really, really well. They're sort of tried and trusted. That model works. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And so just so moving out onto um, commuter towns, you know, I mean, it's interesting with the commuter town side of things, because I think what we're starting to see now is lots of permitted development schemes, PD schemes being built out in the sort of, you know, the commuter towns. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening out there. There's also a lot of, you know, uh, housing projects as well. So, you know, it's, it's interesting with, this is not just about London. This is about now outside of London. So it used to be, you know, we used to say, you know, it was all about zone one and two, three, four, five. You know, now it's about, you know, not so much the, the underground zones, but out into the Sloughs and the Watfords and the, those sort of places, which are all commutable into town. Now, you know, I think let's address the elephant in the room, which is that everybody's saying, you know, I oh, know London's stuffed now because nobody's commuting in, everyone's work from home, all that sort of stuff. It's interesting because most of our staff, by far the majority, and, and it was 80% last time we did the poll, they don't want to work from home. They actually want to work from the office. You know, they were desperate to get back in the office in lockdown. And I think... As much as people are saying that no, everyone's buying properties outside of the city and they're moving out, the reality is there's just as many people who want to move into the city, you know, um, because of the proximity. And, and make no mistake, a lot of the cities now are, um, you know, building. They're building in such a way where they're, you know, they're, they're catering for, you know, people to live there, but people to commute as well. And I think that's where commuter towns, are, you know, are potentially a great opportunity, you know. Um, but yeah, what about, so, um, you know, we'll move on to sort of the, the major cities. You know, UK now has three yeah. world cities for property investors. So what about you, Daniel? This is your, uh, your specialty. So what's yeah, your thoughts? We've been focused on, uh, on the north and, and the UK cities for probably about three, four years. Like you mentioned, yeah. um, in 2016, London yeah. started to slow down. Uh, so yes, you know, there's some great regeneration areas and, uh, and, and pockets of opportunities in London but what we felt back in 2016 was where London had gone through a galloping stage funnily enough the rest of the country had actually stood still since the last recession if we go back even further looking at the biggest assumption in property doubling in value every seven to ten years it had followed that pattern uh, yeah. for the last 50 up until the last recession 
whilst London pretty much carried on the trend, the rest of the country stood still. So that's when we started focusing on the major cities uh, in the north, uh, Manchester, Birmingham, Liverpool, Leeds, Sheffield. But the first two I mentioned, and what you mentioned there, Manchester and Birmingham, you know, they're, they're your mini London, they're your world cities. You can put them in that bracket now uh, because quite simply, so much is happening there. Um, yeah. If we look at the infrastructural changes, if we look at the transport upgrades, the job creation, um, and a massive p- uh, part of this was the Northern Powerhouse plan. You know, we're, we're looking at totally different proposition. And if we put that next to the numbers involved, the sort of returns, because you've got a good balance of uh, cash flow as well as, as well as the growth, you know, it's, uh, that, that's why we're, we're sort of so attracted to those, uh, those cities. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of the fundamentals you mentioned at the beginning of the presentation, that Birmingham, Manchester, you're not just relying on, on the future. You've got fundamentals there today as well. You know, uh, I won't go through them all, but in terms of transport, you've got um, you know all the all the all the major. Um, you've got phase one of HS2 coming soon. Uh, you've got the uh, the tram system in Manchester that works well. You've got lots of regeneration schemes, multiple billion pound uh, regeneration schemes, and the major employees uh, that we talk about. You know, for Birmingham, Manchester, we're talking about the, the caliber of you know PwC, KPMG. HSBC coming into Birmingham and in Manchester we've recently had um, Amazon moving in there we've, you've got the Chinese business center by the station we've always had the media city uh, but not a lot of people realize that they're actually doubling that in size and investing uh, a billion pounds in that as well so so much is going on but furthermore you've yeah. also got you know, a, a young population you've got a big pool of talent uh, coming from those world-class universities and, and historically people would get their, um, their, their degrees up in, in, in the north maybe and go to the, the big city London but now the retention rate is, is very high so we're seeing lots of demand for new build and um, I think what really excites me the most about it is that both have tech centers and you know the tech industry fastest growing one and they don't just have tech sectors they have growing tech centers and if we look at where you know, the world's going you know tech is pretty much taking over and um i think covid has accelerated yeah. uh, that that process yeah 100 and i think the interesting thing with the whole tech thing is people when the last recession hit and the banks were decimated in terms of you know all that sort of stuff and you know there was all sorts of you know pressure on them to you know uh, to not have a collapse effectively um Everyone was talking about how Canary Wharf's dead, everywhere's dead, you know, we've lost our banking sector, our finance sector. Well, you know what? What happened was over the last 10 years, we've built up this massive tech center where really London and Manchester and even Birmingham are now, you know, they're, they're massive tech hubs. You know, they are really, London is a tech center of, of Europe, you know, um, and, and that's happened almost in, you know, in the back rooms quietly without anyone realizing it. You know, but now, yeah. you know, it's a force to be reckoned with. And that's, you know, that's great. And, and actually, when you go to Manchester or Birmingham now, it's, it's amazing to walk around there. You know, I haven't been to Liverpool, um, but, you know, I know with, with Manchester and, and Birmingham, I was blown away. You know, we, I used to run seminars yeah. up there every sort of other week. And, um, you know, and then I didn't go there for 10 years. And when we started to get back in, I was, I was blown away with it. So, yeah. But um, yeah. The, Manchester is actually the fastest growing. Uh, city, uh, sorry, tech city in Europe in 2019, yeah. the fastest growing in, yeah. in Europe. So double its investment to, to 181 million. Yeah, 
Yeah, extraordinary. I think what's exciting about it, it is well, you've got the Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley itself has got uh, 6,000 tech firms not employing 38,000 people. So, um, and I think they're, they're made committed to uh, creating 29,000 digital created jobs in the next yeah. 10 years, which is all boost the economy by 8 billion. So, so much yeah. going on. So yeah. it's, it's not just uh, you know, here and now, you've also got the future as well, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Just had a, actually, we'll just uh, break it out. Just, so we've got a question in from, um, I thought it'd be a good time to get this. So basically it's, um, you know, is there regeneration going in Nottingham? It, absolutely there is. I think it's, is it Island Quarter in, I think it's 650 million Island Quarter or something in, in Nottingham. Look, there, there's all, you know, in, in most of the major cities, and, and when I say major cities, major cities, I'm talking about ones with universities. Um, now the universities are gonna take a hit and you know that's that's to be expected. Certainly, if you're in student accommodation, you're taking a hit right now. Um, but that sort of thing that is that is going on right now. So yeah, most of those cities have you know regeneration happening. The question is, is it big enough, or is it just one project, you know, of a small little part of the city and that sort of stuff? And you know, so so we we haven't done a lot in Not Nottingham um, for quite a few years actually. Um, mainly because it's just there's too much going on for me. For me personally, it's it's Manchester and Birmingham and Liverpool, no sort of you know bigger cities. Um, but that's not to say that you can't you know you know the Sheffields and the Leeds and, and the Nottinghams and those sort of guys, even like even to a degree in the Lincolns, you know, sort of thing, you know, which obviously we've got an office there. But um, yeah, so Alan, cheers for that question. Um, you know, so yeah. But I think the other side of it is we used to have in the obviously in the um, the Pentagon you know, major towns with more than 100,000 people. But my concern with that is, if all the youth move to the cities, what's left, you know? Um, and that's my concern realistically is, you know, look, for, for years, you know, we, we, when we first started, we started in the suburbs and we started, you know, the, the cheaper stuff and all that sort of stuff. And we've built up to be where now we, you know, we sell, you know, six, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollar property or pound properties in, you know, in London down to, you know, your hundred thousand pound properties in Liverpool and that sort of stuff. So, you know, um, but for me, the key here is about fundamentals. So forget about where it is. It's about where are the best fundamentals. So, you know, if you can only afford a 60,000 pound property, then get a 60,000 pound property in the best area, you know, that you can, because that's more likely to go up for that area. But the challenge I have is there's a lot of areas that are getting no money put, pumped into them. And they're the areas, it doesn't matter how good the deal is, how much discount they offer, how much you know, incentive they say, you know, it's, it's just not worth buying there because everybody is moving out, they're moving into the cities you know, or they're moving into the commuter towns of the cities and that's where you want to be investing. You know? um, so yeah, look, the other side is you know, deal hunting without a proper plan. So we'll, we'll move on now. So what's the solution? Where do we go from here? So really, deal hunting without a plan is like jumping into a river of piranhas and cutting your leg off, you know? It, it's, it's a ridiculous notion. Unfortunately, this is what most people do, okay? Most people come into the industry and if you're starting out right now, uh, you know, I warn you against this, yeah? You sign up to 100 different websites or 10 different websites and you just get bombarded with deals, you know? Have we got a deal for you? Because that is what the industry teaches. You know, that is real estate 101. It's about urgency. It's about getting that person. It's, you know, it's a scarcity mentality. It's the worst thing you can do is to go deal hunting immediately. One of the things we talk about as a business is we talk about get a plan, get a strategy, you know, and, and with those two things, the, and make sure that strategy meets the market. And when you do that, 
it's amazing what you can get and the level of certainty you can get. You know, understand the rules of the game and all this sort of stuff because that actually is the way to invest in property. You know, and and really that is what we you know you hundred percent have to do. So I think you know for me the the first step you know is don't go deal hunting. Don't go looking for hundreds of different properties to buy or and you know and try and make a decision on whether it be students or HMOs or you know off plan or new build or whatever it is. You know, work out the plan. And the plan is you know where do you want to go? Where are you starting from? How are you going to get there? Yeah. And then you get a strategy that meets the market. You know, and what I say about that is, you know, there's thousands of ways to make money in property. You need one, maybe two, okay? And, and, and I really mean that. I know guys that make money out of property that I have no concept of how they actually do it. But they know their game really, really well. I know my name really well. We know our game really well, you know? And, and because we know the rules of the, that apply to the game, we make money consistently. And our you know, customers, our clients make money consistently. And I think that's really, really you know, important. Um, you know? And, and you will, you get bombarded. You know? And unfortunately, that's just the game, name of the game. You gotta learn how to filter that out, get a plan. And then that way, once you've got a plan and strategy, you don't need to be bombarded with all the sort of, you know, this opportunity, that opportunity. Oh, make this much money. You know, at the end of the day, the, the best way to make money is to focus, get the rules of the game, and really get to know that. And that's, that's the best way to do it. The other side is, you know, that you need to do, you know, property is a box that makes you money, yeah? And that's, it's a mentality, but it's an approach, and it's where you need to get to. You know, you've got to get a good level of education, you know? So, you know, not an, an education specific to your approach or your strategy, okay? And, and you know, this is absolutely key. You know, because so many times, you know, and I talk about a disciplined approach because I find most people are very undisciplined. Somebody pitches them a deal and says, this is a great idea. No, forget that. You should be doing this. And guess what? You know, they go, oh, this way. And then somebody else is there and they're this way and this way and they're all over the shop. And the problem is they may buy one or two of those properties and then work out. They don't really understand the rules that apply to that game. And that's it can be tragic, you know, and it can knock you back 10 years because think how long it takes you to create that initial seed capital, you know, you've got to protect that, you know, and, and really part of that, the box that makes your money mentality is about taking the emotions out of the decision and putting in the numbers and understanding how the numbers work and doing the due diligence and all those sort of things. And, you know, that's all the process that obviously, you know, we help you out with and that you need to do. And especially now with recession and disruption and all this sort of stuff, you have to do it and you have to get that, you know, squared away. Um, so, yeah, so the other side is, you know, oh, sorry. Oh, I've realized that I just uh, put the wrong screen on. Did I? Hold on. There. No, it wasn't that one. I must have stuffed up the thing. Anyway, um, sorry guys. It's, yeah, so bo bottom line is with this is, no, I'll go back because I've forgotten the thing. Um, it's I had the wrong thing. Bottom line is, look, you have to, if you're gonna do this, you've gotta get a team around you, yeah? So whatever you're doing, you need you know, a solicitor, you need a broker, you need a sourcer, you need all these sort of things, and this team around you. And now more than ever, it really, you know, I mean, I remember back when I first started, I couldn't afford to have all these different people. So, you know, I wrote my own mortgages. I, you know, I had, did, did all the bits and pieces myself. I didn't do the soliciting, uh, the soliciting, the, the conveyancing, sorry. Um, you know, but now it's absolutely fundamental because there's so many peculiarities about it. Even managing the property. Look, you know, I've got a property management business and, you know, easy track that we you know we have 12 and 150 properties that we manage. 
but there's so much um, detail that you've got to get into. You know, I've done my level three and I'm now doing my level four just to keep up with the, the level of compliance and detail that is required. You know, so you've got to get a team around you. Otherwise, you know, it's going to end up costing you money. And, you know, if you think good advice is expensive, wait until you pay for bad advice or worse, not taking advice. You know, and I think that's one of the keys. Um, so, yeah. So, look, guys, you've got two choices in how you build. You know, you do it yourself or done for you. Yeah. And, and the reality is that for the most part, you are going to, you may do some of the stuff for yourself, but that is going to become less and less now as you have to do more and more or use, you know, professionals more and more. So you're going to have to get your power team around you. You know, you're going to have to get people, you know, that advise you and help you. And obviously that's something that we can do, you know, and it's something that we're, you know, experience that and what we do every day of the week is, you know, the, the done for you approach where, you know, you're busy, you don't have the time, you know, you don't have the, you know, potentially the relationships that you need, you know, we can do all that for you. So if you're not sure, and I think the, the, the reality for all this is if you're not sure and you're not certain, then the best thing to do is have a chat with the team and just get all your questions answered. Don't rush into buying a property. Don't rush into doing a deal. That's not necessarily going to help you. Take your time, get it all squared away, and when you do that, you know it, it just makes so much sense because you know one of the statements that Ritesh made, which was 100% accurate, which is, you know, people think property is complex, but actually it's relatively simple, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to make it very simple, but effectively take all the tasks away from you, and we'll use our team and you know the professional. Any comments on that, guys? Before actually, we'll open it for questions in a sec too. Dan, any comments on there? No. I don't think my mic works. No, your mic's working. Oh, does it? Oh, brilliant. Oh, I'm here. I'm alive. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Hold on. What? No, no. Yeah, no. You're right. (laughs) Now, look, um, you know, if you're if you want to, if you're thinking, you know, have been thinking about doing something, look, there's always going to be reasons and concerns and you know, things that stop you, you know, whether they be real obstacles or whether you're just making excuses to yourself. (laughs) And and that's sometimes what it can be. Mm. Um, But the reality is what I would, what I would say to you is sit down, sit down with us, you know, go through everything in a lot of detail, go through your concerns because we are happy to share all the risks involved in all this, you know, so you actually understand, you know, what good looks like, what bad can look like. But more importantly, what steps and systems can you put in place so that actually bad doesn't really look bad. It's just that you never knew you didn't have the systems to deal with it. Yeah. So get that plan, that plan formulated and then go away and make the decision. But what I was don't don't sort of sit there and don't sit on the fence and don't do nothing, you know, yeah. do something. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel Mike's on mute, I think. Sorry, okay. Yeah, I think the main thing is is that when you do make that decision, whether you're going to do poverty or do a bus, it's an educated one because like, we all come into this with barriers, uh, concerns, and all that kind of stuff. It's about you know, understanding um, the upside, the downsides, the mechanics behind all the strategies, getting a, a clear picture of how it all works. Um, and like I said, in the planning side, it's strategy structure. So we make sure that we structure it in a certain way. So if you're... Um, if you're if you're concerned about interest rates going up, we structure it in a way where you've got buffers and allowances. So I think the main thing is to you know, commit to exploring it and making an educated decision at the end of it. Once we've gone through everything in in detail. Yeah, 
hundred percent. And uh, you know, I think guys, with this whole thing is, you know, there's always I always talk about the, the you know the white noise, you know, the TV screens that have the the white noise all over it. For me, that is what you need. There's always the white noise, and and what I mean by that of property is there's always some reason not to do it. There's always something in the background sitting there that says, oh, that's a risk. Yeah, you're never going to have absolute certainty. You know, you're never going to know this is exactly right. You're never going to, you know, you can listen to one expert, but another expert will tell you something different. And you know, the problem is, until you get to the point where you start asking questions yourself and you sit down with people and you work through, you'll realize that actually a lot of the the risks can be mitigated. You know, now there's still risks and there's still downside, and and you know that can happen. You know, but actually a lot of it can be mitigated, and a lot of it is actually emotions you know and it's just getting your emotions in check and you do that through education and experience you know and and one of the things i always say is you know act as if you're buying a property and go through some dry runs with us you know go through cash flows go through the area do the research act as if you're going to buy it and you do that a couple of times sorry that's when the real questions and concerns come up 100 percent. you know and, and you very quickly realize that actually there's always going to be COVID or there's always going to be recession or there's always going to be something in the background and you've just got to filter that out. You've just got to filter out the white noise, yeah? Because for the most part, it's not actually going to affect you and it's unlikely to affect you. And the bits that you know about, you, you minimize or you mitigate that risk as much as possible. And if it comes true, it comes true. You deal with it then, you know? If the market changes, you know, the tax goes up, the, this goes down, the other, you know, that happens. You just deal with it, you know, you roll with it. And that's part of the review process of the portfolio management we do is, you know, we're constantly reviewing and we can review as often as you want. Generally, it's, you know, every six months, 12 months, two years, depending on where you are in in your cycle, um, because property does move relatively slowly, you know, but yeah. So let's get into some questions, guys. Um, But look, guys, any questions you've got, just you can type them into... um, Sorry about the webinar technical stuff, but I know YouTube's working and Facebook's working. So Simon, I, um, I've saved this one till now. So basically, you know, what are your thoughts on how all these pending evictions is going to affect the market? Um, look, so there's, there's two, two elements to this that I'll, that I'll look at. Number one is, I'm not sure it's as bad as it's been made out, okay? I don't think there is that. Because of the government supports that were put in place, I mean, to give you an idea, we, are, we run, we manage 1,250 properties and we've got three that need to be eviction. One is taking place on Thursday. Fantastic. She owes about 50 grand. It's a whole thing. I'm going to write a whole story about it. You know, um, she's changed her name three different times. I mean, it's just appalling. The courts have let her take it stage after stage after stage. She was supposed, anyway, I'm not going to get into that, but, but bottom line is up. Um, I don't think the number is as high as they've been made out to be. Okay. Um, and I think a lot of it at the system has got together and tenants and landlords have worked together. I think a lot of lobbying groups have made it a lot bigger issue than it may be. But that's not to say that if your property is having problems, that, that's, you know, that, that doesn't discount that at all. The reality is the courts are opened up now and so things are starting to move, but it is going to take some time. And unfortunately, I don't think it's going to affect the market. It is only still a small portion of the market. Um, you know, so I don't see it affecting massively the market, but I do, if it's you individually having that situation, then yeah, it, it's affect you massively. And in fact, it could potentially send you, you know, behind because, you know, 
I mean, six months notice. And, you know, uh, Paul Champolino, um, basically, um, he mentioned uh, in one of his uh, things today that um, he thinks it's the government's, you know, the government are just doing the Section 21. They're, they're just effectively phasing it out on the quiet side, which, you know, is for me ridiculous. I think that they need to do a lot of things, but they're, they're not doing. So I think there's bigger issues in the pending evictions. I don't think it's a big issue. It is a big issue if, for the individual, but as terms of the market, and individual areas and suburbs and towns, I don't think it's a massive issue because the level of support that's been given, a lot of the guys who had difficulty and lost their jobs actually have been supported through it by the government spending. So that, that's been quite good, but yeah. Guys, any other questions from anyone? That's pretty much us for you know the bits and pieces. Look, you know um, we're, we're here, so we've got six more of these, okay? And then six more subjects. And what I'll do is I'm actually gonna put, I'll put it up on the website and, um, um, I'll put it onto the YouTube and put it in the links in the description too for the um, for the next things. We'll get the webinar software working or we'll just ditch the whole concept of webinar, um, you know, software. <laughs> I, we'll see how that goes anyway. But yeah, so any questions, chuck them in there now. Um, and yeah, happy to answer them. Just let me go through and just make sure I haven't missed any of these. Lots of comments, but yeah. Any guys, have you got anything further you want to add? Let me, no, no. I'll just Let me just see if I've, I've missed anything. Um, yeah, gotcha. Oh yeah, so um, do you consider regeneration in Birmingham significant? Oh, wait then, let's not take that off. Or just hype? will probably price go up in the near future for Birmingham. So, Afzal, um, what do I think about Birmingham? Look, I, for me, I love Birmingham. Um, you know, and, and I love, it's, it's, for me, it's doing what every, you know, world city should. And, and I call it a world city now because if I look at the number of in, in international investors that are investing into Birmingham, putting money into Birmingham, you know, um, and for me, it's, it's, it's number three on my list. London is number one. You know, Manchester number two and Birmingham is, you know, um, a close a close third. You know, and really I could probably interchange the two depending on which day of the week it is. So yeah, I do think it is gonna make a massive difference. You know, um, what we're seeing is, you know, the, the bull ring area now has, you know, that's been quite well developed. And now what we're seeing is, you know, stuff popping up all around and development sites. So it's probably, for me, house the prices haven't grown as much as manchester have so i think they've still got way to go um so actually for me i, th I think it's fantastic if you look at manchester now in the city center prices have grown you know quite a bit so now we're sort of moving out to the you know the well not so much you know but around here you know noma and that sort of stuff in manchester this, those prices are probably you know they're on the top end of the side but you know the fundamentals are fantastic there you know birmingham same you know i think it's not i, I it's hard because when I first went there to Birmingham, it was quite a rundown city, yeah? And we're talking going back to 2002, so this is you know, almost 20 years ago. Um, but since then, you know, we've seen it growing incredibly and, and, you know, really has become a tech hub, a, you know, future a city, you know, city of the future, all that sort of stuff. And that's what actually good cities are doing now is they're seeing where things are going and they're moving forward with that. So, yeah. Have you guys got anything to add about Birmingham? Not oh. so, sorry? No, no. Can you hear, can you hear? 
Can you hear me, guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can hear you. Yeah. 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 I, I like I said earlier, for me, you know, it's your your mini London, and there, there's just so much going on there, yeah. so much regeneration. So there, there is so much more scope for growth. We've already seen it perform so well over the last two, three years. Um, if we look at you know, where the prices are going, not they will catch up with London, but there is so much more yeah. of, a, of a kind of a, of a ceiling. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's, also, it's two sides to Birmingham. So you've got the city sort of area, the central areas, which are obviously pretty mature, developed, and stuff like that, um, where everything's already in place. Um, but then you've got Digbeth, which yep. is more about the future and you know, things up and coming, and that's going to be. Five, ten, fifteen, yeah, yeah condos. You know that will keep keep going. So, if you if you're the sort of person who rather go into an, into Birmingham but be somewhere which is it's ready, it's landed, then stick to places like Jewelry Quarter, for example. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's pretty ready made. If you if you're someone who wants to get in lower price point and you know back what's about to happen and happy to take the risk of change, then obviously places around Tigbert are very good. So you, you know, and you, so you've got both elements to it. Yeah. 100%, yeah. So I think, yeah, look, uh, we love Birmingham. We love Manchester. We love London. We love London Commuter, you know, and um, some of you guys love Liverpool. I'm still not totally sold on it as somewhere where I'd want to invest, but I know there, there's lots of opportunity there, to be fair. That's that's my personal uh, vendetta against Liverpool from about 20 years ago when I first started investing there. But, <laughs> but um, look, so the, some more questions in. So we've got... Um, uh, from Abed, uh, why why is the property market still going up despite the current situation? So I think there's a couple of reasons why, and this is not just the UK, but this is actually a lot of property markets that are going up. The US, you know that sort of thing. We have printed, we've increased the money supply by about thirty percent. Yeah, that liquidity has to go somewhere, and where is it going? A lot of it's going into property. Okay, um, but also we've dropped the interest rates to rock bottom. We've stimulated, you know, various bits and pieces, you know, at, at a base level, certainly in the UK. But not only that, with the UK in particular, we've had austerity layered with Brexit. So things have been, you know, kept down. And all of a sudden, Boris has come in and said, no, no, we're getting rid of austerity. We're now doing stimulus. And as well, people have got a decision whether, you know, whether you're for or exit, or, you know, against Brexit. It's the fact that we've got one way, overwhelmingly one way, just almost said everyone went, ah, thank goodness. And so that's what we're seeing. And everyone went, ah, thank goodness. And then COVID hit and it was like, oh. But so now we've had it drop up. And that's the reason why, you know, we're seeing that that um, that's it's still increasing. But uh, things, things, will slow, things will slow down now because, you know, it's, we're coming into Christmas, you know. We're not, you're not going out. It's not as lively, that, all that sort of stuff. Plus, we've got second wave and things like that. So, we'll, you know, let's see what happens over Christmas and then we'll see what happens with the spring bounce next year. Sorry, mate, you are going to say? No, I was going to say on that point about the property market going up, um, you know, you've got the, number one, you've got the pent-up demand because we've been into lockdown for, for four months. And during that time, you know, it was a complete shutdown. So there's no contradiction of supply and demand. Um, and that coupled with the stimulus, like you said, you know, the stamp mm. duty, that with the pent up demand together is what has seen the sort of prices or well, transactions yeah. keep going uh, to a high volume. And therefore, that's why the prices have been going up as well. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, cool. And then we've got another one here. If uh, Bank of England introduced negative interest rates, how will that affect property? More lending by banks? Um, I don't actually think that negative interest rate is going to affect. So first of all, 
I don't believe if, if we go negative interest rates, most mortgages now have a collar. In other words, they won't drop below. So it's not like you're gonna get negative interest rates. So I think the, the, the positive effect on cash flow for us as individuals is largely done and dusted now. So that's not gonna change, I don't think, yeah? Um, but what it does do is it gives the banks more margin and when it gives the banks more margin, then they're more likely to have cash to lend um, and I think that's where that will assist. You know, more lending by banks. Look, the, the challenge is, is that unless the government mandates, you know, like with a C-bill loan or a bounce back loan and says, you know, we'll underwrite the, the, your risk, they're not gonna lend. They're not able to take the thing because the problem is it's too easy for, you know, if, if someone defaults that they blame the lender. You know, you weren't responsible lending. You know, on the one hand, you've got Boris saying, we want 95% mortgages, but on the other hand, they're saying responsible lending. Well, in, in Australia, one of the things they're looking to do is they went responsible lending, cramped down, and then all of a sudden they went, oh, that's a little bit too much. No, no, we'll open it back up. And now they've said, no, we're just gonna write all that off and you can lend whatever you want. You know, for me, I'm a, I'm a free market man. So I'm like, if a lender wants to lend um, under whatever circumstances, you know, as, as long as it's not, you know, it's ridiculous lending where you know they can't lend back and you, you know, you're basically stealing from them, then fine, you know, let, let them do it, you know, but we'll see. Um, any thoughts for you guys, negative interest rates? No, I mean, pretty much what you said there, I agree. Yeah. You know, so the main thing is, like you said, the banks, you know, if anyone thinks so, they're going to be borrowing money at zero, you know, negative interest yeah. rates. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> They've, they've got no. that in the contracts, not happening. <laughs> no, that's right. No, no, exactly. Um, so Alan, uh, another one from Alan. There's talk of CGE's uh, capital gains tax increasing in the US if Biden gets in. Um, have you heard any potential CGE increases in UK? Yes. So I think, um, I think capital gains tax potentially will increase. Um, because you know, at the end of the day, it's a tax on profits, you know, that, that are actually realized profits. So um, I think, yeah, that, that, that is one of the stings in the tail is because there's almost this spending, somehow we're gonna pay for that, you know? Now, how do we pay for it? We pay for it by the economy growing, but let's face it, if, if everything is, you know, if we go into stagflation, that's not really gonna happen. How are they gonna pay for this? But the thing is, is most countries are doing this now. You know, most countries have done massive stimulus programs, you know, so they've had to borrow for that. The challenge is that could mean that for the, you know for 10, 20 years, who knows, um, it could be subduing things. So rather than having these wild you know rides, we may see that it's more of a you know like this now. Who knows? You know, it could bounce back. And I think this is where London. I think my gut feel is London is going to bounce back next year, um, and that's why you know I'm I'm quite you know um, bullish on uh, London next year. I think even though affordability and all that are issues. Um, I just don't see that necessarily being a massive issue. But yeah, I think, unfortunately, taxes will be going up because the governments have to pay for it somehow. And how are they gonna pay for it? Well, they're gonna pay for it any way they can. And unfortunately, um, see the capital gains tax is an easy tax to raise, you know? So yeah, any thoughts on that, boys? I mean, all I'll say is that with things like taxes, you know, that, that, that there's always a chance, you know, that they're going to, we're talking about CGT. Yes, today it's that. It could be income. Yeah. Uh, fine, you've got to know it. You've got to understand it. But I like to sort of focus on, look, let's get into a position where 
we're making money to be thinking about tax and then use professionals in that field like accountants yeah. to structure you in a way where you know you're, you're paying your taxes but you're, you're set up tax efficiently um i just find sometimes or too many times people are worried about the tax before they've actually made the money so yes have your eye on it understand it know it yeah. but really keep that focus on making that money yeah 100 percent you know, uh, and at that, ah, uh, yeah, if, you know, make the money and then worry about the tax. Most people worry about the tax. And that's not ignore the tax before you make money. But yeah. most people spend so much time worrying about paying tax before they've even made any money. You know, I'd rather them spend the same amount of time they worry about tax into actually doing research into the area and into the property and into the deal and the cash flow and all that, um, you know, because that's going to make them infinitesimally more money. You know, so yeah. Um, so we've got another question from Dave. Um, if you're renting and your rent is reasonable, but you have 30, 40K savings, would you say it's better to buy a place to live or to use the funds to purchase a buy to let investment? Um, so the, I think it's, it's really two. It depends on uh, what's your partner. If she's, uh, she wears the pants, then you probably won't, that decision will be taken out of your hands. No, um, I think, look, it's always great to have somewhere to live. But financially, um, actually, a lot of decisions, a lot of time, it's better to invest and actually rent somewhere because you can rent cheaper than you can buy. Um, you know, as long as, you, as long as that 40 to 50K or 40, 30, 40K is going into an investment you know, and working for you, then for me, you know, that works really well. But by the same token, if you're, you know, if you're settling down, having kids, doing all that sort of stuff, having a place of your own you know, um, is, is always, you know, it's an inspiration and it really does, it's a motivator. It will, you know, help you, you know, because it's going to make you money anyway. So for me, it's not a this or that. It uh, depends on your situation, you know. What, what are your guys' thoughts? Any thoughts? We actually have quite a few clients um, who are renting and actually decided to take the step with investment first. Yeah. And one of the first things I always ask is, where you're renting now, are you happy there? Have you got the space? Is it the right place you know, for your work life, your person, you know, your social life, all that? And if the answer to that question is, it is, and we love being here, or I love living here because it really works, then I'm like, fine, invest. If the answer is no, where, you know, the place that I'm um, renting, it, it's, I'm not happy, you know, whether it's the condition of the apartment, the location's not right, you know, and, and it's making someone on a day-to-day level, you know, not too happy, then the reality is, look, go and get yourself a place to live first. You know, because yeah. yeah, this, you know, it's all about getting that balance right. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a massive motivator. Once you get, and and one, I always talk about stretching when you buy your own home because if you stretch when you buy your own home, it's amazing how six months after buying it, you you will adjust your lifestyle and that will just become an easy uh, easy payment. But one of the challenges is if you don't stretch and then you settle for and you buy a place, then you feel stuck and then you feel like you made the wrong decision and that sort of stuff. Um, it's amazing how the brain will expand, you know, the mind will expand to, you know, to meet your surroundings. So if, you know, if you're more, you know, you think, oh, you know, my mortgage at a thousand pounds a month is a stretch. There's no way I can afford that, you know, and, and yet you do it at 1100 and you're like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to do this. You'll find a way and you'll sort it out. And I realize that, you know, from a strictly fiscal sense, that's probably bad advice because all you should spend within your means and all that sort of stuff. It, you know, I've seen so many people who, when they stretch, that just becomes their norm and that just becomes what they can do, no problems, you know. Um, so, yeah, um, good. So, guys, any other questions? I've got one more here, which is basically that. Um, do you expect, um, you know, buy-to-let market to be better 
for houses um, than apartments? Look, I think this is, and this is an age-old question that we get all the time. Look, for me, it's a cycle, okay? So what you tend to find is that apartments, okay, go through a period where, you know, when they're, you know, they may, you know, they'll go up in price and then actually houses will be cheaper and then what'll happen, houses will go up in price, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's a bit like this, you know. Look, they serve a different type of the market. You know, generally your city centers, which your best fundamentals, all that sort of stuff, will be your apartments and out in the suburbs will be your houses. So it just depends on what you're looking for. They both make money, yeah? yeah. And if you buy them well, you know, they both rent and, you know, so it's not a case of houses are better than flats, even though a lot of people say, oh, no, no, houses are always better than flats. I, you know, I've done both, okay? So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, so I, I think, and actually you mentioned that was in Birmingham that you're seeing lots of apartments. You will see apartments in, in Birmingham because that's what's going to be built. You've got to realize that, you know, the population increases, and as the population increases, there's going to be more apartments built and taller apartments. I mean, there's 20, you know, ma um, massive story apartments, um, sorry, apartments, um, uh, skyscrapers being being in planning now in, in London. London's yeah. going to become, you know, a futuristic city where you see, you know, all these, you know, um, massive, you know, high rises, and that that's happening. That's happening in all cities, and Birmingham and Manchester and all those places will be the same. You know? Yeah. So, Whether yeah. it's that house or flat is is ultimately the land value uh, where you're going to make your money. But just on that point of the city centres. There's limited space. So when developers go into these uh, appreciating city centres, there is no space to build houses. There's limited yeah. land, so they build upwards. Yeah. That's why you, you just won't see houses being built in no. city centres and surrounding areas. It just won't no. quite happen. Not at all. You know, so yeah. Um, guys, that's all the questions that I can see on the streams. Now, I haven't actually seen any from Facebook. Oh, yes, I have. So yeah, so we've obviously got some Facebook there. So that's good. So look, guys, any um, any questions you've got? If you're watching this and you're not, it's not live, then just go to webinars at uh, gladfish.com, and we'll be able to either I'll jump on and I'll record a video on my on my social media channels, or I'll send an email back to you, or I'll um, quickly type one out. Um, but yeah, guys, you know I want to thank you for joining us, and and um, Rit and Dan, yeah, thank you very much for um, your contribution. And uh, yeah, guys, look, really appreciate. Um, don't forget subscribe. Um, you know, comment, you know, whatever you need to do, any questions, anything that can help you through. If you want to chat to the team, you can give them a call. Um, I'll chuck that on the screen in a minute. Um, and basically, yeah, look, we've, we've got this now. Oh, hold on, we've got a new one coming in. Oh, two, two more. <laughs> All right. So we've got recently come across an article saying that rents down by 20% in London. Landlords are finding it difficult to find tenants. Will it bounce back? Um, Anyway, I think that's a really good question because actually that is one of the concerns. We haven't had 20%, not 20% drops. You know, We're getting probably 5%, 3 to 5% sort of thing, drops in London. I think that the big distinction here is if a lot of your block was, was service apartments, those service apartments are pretty much decimated now, they're being put back onto the market. And because of that, you know, your apartment block, which may have had 50 apartments, but only 20 of them are long-term let, now you're competing 30 all of a sudden. It will come back, yeah? So once that, once that slack has been taken up, then it'll, it'll start to grow again. So, you know, it's not, this is not a, you know, this is a seasonal, situational thing. Once it's fixed, it'll be fine, you know? So I don't think you yeah. need to worry about that too much. Yeah, obviously, if you've lost 20% of your rent, 
you know, that is, uh, you know, devastating. Um, but, you know, the reality is I'm not seeing 20% down on any of the stuff that we're doing in London, um, you know, at all. I think, you know, and this is where I think the media, they'll hear one property and that becomes the, you know, that will look 20% drops. You know, we're just not seeing it. I mean, and we've got, I think, seven or 800 properties in and around London that we manage, you know. So, you know, so to not have any real, you know, a 20%, you know, threes, fours, five percents, you know, there might be a few that it's a bit more, um, but, you know, that, no, it's, just, it's not that drastic, you know, um, but yeah. Um, and one more, so we'll, we'll take this as a final question. So what's your advice for new generation to get their foot on the property ladder? <laughs> awesome. I, look, Nabed, what I would say is this, yeah? Um, demonstrate you can save by saving 5% of the deposit. And once you do that, there's pretty much, there'll be a scheme, I think, where you'll be able to get into a property. And whether that be help to buy or whether that be the new 95% mortgage that Boris has you know, um, said, you know, there's a way on. But that's 5% for me gets you on the ladder. That shows that you've got the disciplines, savings, and you know, the organization to do that. And I think that's one of the key things is to get that under your belt. And the other side is, is that don't sit there and say, well, I live in King, uh, you know, in, um, um, you know, in Earl's Court or whatever, and therefore I need to buy an Earl's Court. You know, you may have to go out to Watford or Slough or somewhere like that, you know, and buy there as your first house and travel in, you know. But don't worry about it because wherever you buy, whatever you can afford, buy the best, you know, in that area, okay. And I think that's the key thing, you know. Get educated, you know, read lots about, you know, the, the you know, about property and all that sort of stuff. Um, and don't get sold, you know, take your time because, look, the best deal, I mean, the whole sales process is we can actually make any deal look fantastic, yeah? And when I say we, I mean we as an industry, that is what we do, you know? It, you know, cute or, you know, quaint little flat means bloody small, too small to live in, you know? <laughs> but, you know, you've got all these, you know, there's a whole different terminology. Now, to be fair, we don't play that game, you know, you'll find, I, you know, I'm no bullshit, no hype and all that sort of stuff. I just swore for the first time, I think, tonight. How about that? I did well. <laughs> but um, no, no, look, I, I think it's the best thing you can do. You know, stay focused on doing it. If that means you can't go out drinking for six months, do it, you know, because once you get that first property under your belt, you know, it, it will change your life, yeah? Yeah. Cool, guys, well, we'll leave it there. Um, any other questions after this, you know, by all means, um, send them in and, you know, we can address them. But um, guys, thanks for coming to the first thing. And um, yeah, I hope to see you at the next six webinars that we're going to cover. There's some really cool topics that we're covering, you know, um, everything from, you know, the next next week is um, kings, queens, landlords, and pawns. Yeah, it's, um, you know, how to, you know, stake your claim in the new world order. Um, you know, and I think that's one of the, you know, what I'm going to look at is just how things were and how th where things are going and how you can actually stake your claim and make sure you're one of those landlords or, um, you know, the king or the queen, you know, which obviously the new, the new terminology is billionaire, you know, um, you know, so that's, that's really where you want to be. So we'll talk through how to do that next week and um, we'll see you same time, same, uh, ch same channel. I'm not sure we'll be on the same channel with the webinar software, but anyway, we'll work that out. All right, guys, thanks very much. And uh, Dan and Rit, thanks very much, guys, and we'll see you next week. See you later. Cheers, guys. See you, Good night. See you later. Bye.